With all of this in mind, it's clear that the gods of other nations are not all just make-believe and fairy tales. There actually is something spiritual going on here. Hello and welcome to the Millennial Apologist Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan, and in this episode, we will be continuing our series on strange Bible passages. The passage we will look at today is Psalm 82, verse 1, which says, God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. We are going to explore the nature of these other gods, with the lowercase g, and discuss their relationship to God and humanity. Last episode, we talked a little bit about the Hebrew word Elohim. While most of the time this word does specifically refer to Yahweh, which is God with a capital G, sometimes it refers to other spiritual beings. Elohim is simply a categorical term which can be used to describe any creature that exists in the spiritual realm, such as God, the devil, angels, demons, and the souls of dead humans. In Psalm 82 verse 1, the word translated as both God and gods is Elohim. So, the passage says that, Elohim stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the Elohim. Last episode, I mentioned Old Testament scholar Michael Heiser and his book titled The Unseen Realm, which does an excellent job of explaining the spiritual world and its inhabitants. In that book, Heiser notes how this passage, Psalm 82.1, really kick-started his research into this topic. Concerning Psalm 82.1, Heiser states that the word Elohim occurs twice in this short verse. Other than the covenant name, Yahweh, it's the most common word in the Old Testament for God. And the first use of the word in this verse worked fine. But since I knew my Hebrew grammar, I saw immediately that the second instance needed to be translated as plural. There it was, plain as day. The God of the Old Testament was part of an assembly, a pantheon, of other gods. What did this do to my theology? I'd always thought, and had taught my students, that any other gods referenced in the Bible were just idols. As easy and comfortable as that explanation was, it didn't make sense here. The God of Israel is not part of a group of idols. But I could not picture him running around with other real gods either. This was the Bible, not Greek mythology. But there it was in black and white. The text had me by the throat, and I could not shake free. The reality that God interacts with other spiritual beings, or Elohim, can be more clearly seen in the Old Testament books of Job and 1 Kings. Job 1 verses 6 to 7 say that there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking back and forth on it. What's particularly interesting about this passage is the fact that God meets with the sons of God, and this meeting includes Satan. 
chapter 2 describes a very similar event in verses 1 to 6. Verse 1 of chapter 2 says that there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. While the phrase sons of God in the New Testament typically refers to Christians, we see here that the phrase sons of God is clearly referring to spiritual beings. This is especially obvious in Job 38 verses 4 to 7, when God asks Job, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding, when the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. In Job, the sons of God obviously cannot be humans because God states that they were present when he laid the foundations of the earth. Given the context of all of these passages, we see that the sons of God are spiritual beings. And if you recall, this phrase, sons of God, relates heavily to the first episode of our series concerning strange Bible passages, which covered Genesis 6 verses 1 to 4 and its description of the sons of God reproducing with the daughters of men. We see that these passages in Job affirm the statement in Psalm 82, 1, that God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. An even more detailed example of this can be seen in 1 Kings 22, verses 19 to 22, where the prophet Micaiah is talking to the wicked king Ahab. Micaiah, who is a true prophet of God, tells Ahab that God has intentionally misled him into making a fatal mistake by feeding him lies through the mouths of his other prophets. God had the prophets of Ahab tell him that he would have military success if he fought at a place called Ramoth-Gilead, when in reality, he would actually die there. Micaiah told Ahab to hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the host of heaven standing by him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who shall persuade Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth-Gilead? And one said on this manner, and another said on that manner. And there came forth a spirit, and stood before the Lord, and said, I will persuade him. And the Lord said unto him, How? And he said, I will go forth, and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all of his prophets. And he said, You shall persuade him, and prevail also. Go forth, and do so. In this detailed scene, we see that even though God already knows everything and created everything, he chooses to interact with his created beings, in this case the Elohim, and he lets them participate in his plans. In this passage, we see that God voices his desire to destroy the wicked king Ahab, and he actually listens to the ideas other spiritual beings have on how to go about this. Though it may sound shocking that God allows other Elohim to participate in his plans, we are all familiar with God's use of angels to deliver messages for him, as can be seen in Daniel 9, Luke 1, etc. Just like God sends angels to deliver messages on earth, it appears that he also engages with other Elohim in the spiritual realm. 
the question that naturally comes to mind is, why did God create these other spiritual beings if he doesn't need them, seeing as he is the all-powerful creator of the universe? Or even, why does God use angels to deliver his messages for him instead of just doing it all himself? And it's best to answer that question with another question, which is, why did God create you? Just like the Elohim which God created, God also does not need you. God does not need human beings. However, just like with the Elohim, God chooses to allow us to participate in his plans. God commands us to preach the gospel to every nation in Matthew 28, 19. And in the original creation, he commanded Adam to take care of the Garden of Eden in Genesis 2.15. So, why does God assign certain tasks to individuals, even though he obviously has the power to do these tasks himself? The answer is because he chooses to. God did not need to create human beings or any of the other Elohim, but he chose to do so because he is relational. God likes the family business, and because of that, he chose to expand his family and engage us in relationship. Furthermore, as created beings, we are meant to worship and give glory to God, who is the all-powerful creator of the universe. However, just like we can disobey God and do evil, some of the Elohim have also disobeyed God and done evil. Two episodes back, we talked about the angelic beings who disobeyed God in Genesis 6 and entered the earthly realm. If that's not weird enough for you, it appears that some spiritual beings have also influenced entire nations to worship them. Yahweh is the one true creator of all things, but in the Old Testament, he is constantly referred to as being especially the Elohim of Israel because he chose to single out that nation and bring about the Messiah from them. That's why Deuteronomy 32.9 states that Yahweh's portion is his people. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. When the nations were scattered at the Tower of Babel, Yahweh chose to focus primarily on the nation of Israel while other Elohim exercise dominion over the other nations. That's why directly after the Tower of Babel, Yahweh singles out Abraham and makes a covenant with him. While we only read the first verse of Psalm 82 earlier, let's take a look at the whole chapter. Psalm 82 verses 1 to 8 says, God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. How long will you judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, you are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But you shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all nations. 
With this supernatural worldview in mind, Psalm 82 appears to depict Yahweh as condemning some of the Elohim for their sinful behavior. Instead of taking care of mankind, the Elohim have done wicked in the sight of Yahweh. That's why Yahweh says in verses 6-7 to that, I have said, you are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High, but you shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. While some Bible translations and commentaries portray Psalm 82 as Yahweh talking to Israelite rulers instead of other spiritual beings, verse 1 specifically says that God judges among the Elohim. So given what we know about the word Elohim, it does not make sense to interpret it as meaning human rulers. Verses 6 to 7 appear to further debunk this interpretation, seeing as God says that as a punishment of their wrongdoing, the sinful Elohim will die like men. It doesn't make sense for God to tell humans that they will die like men, because that's what they were already going to do in the first place. Instead, it makes sense that because these Elohim have sinned and disobeyed God, they will suffer a spiritual death of separation from God's love, which is completely supported by Jesus' statement that hell was made for the devil and his angels, and Peter's statement that God has kept some angels under chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. And if you want the specifics of those passages, it's in Matthew 25 verse 41 that Jesus says, Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And Peter writes in 2 Peter 2 verse 4 that God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. So it appears that these Elohim are also moral agents like humans are. And, just like human beings will be judged based on their actions, so will these Elohim. Some of these Elohim will dwell eternally in paradise with Yahweh and Christians. However, some of these Elohim will spend eternity in hell under the wrath of God, which is where every unbeliever will also spend eternity. The fact that God has the power to punish these other Elohim further supports the fact that there is only one God. There is only one Yahweh. And even though the word gods with a lowercase g is used to describe these other Elohim, they are nowhere near what Yahweh is. Yahweh is the Most High. He is the only true creator of all things. And Christianity promotes monotheism, not polytheism. Many ancient mythologies have the other gods being all on an equal playing field, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that these other Elohim, while they are higher than humans and they are generally more powerful than humans, none of them are even close to having the power that Yahweh has because they themselves were created by Yahweh and Yahweh has the power to destroy them. Michael Heiser explains it this way, The usage of the term Elohim by biblical writers tells us very clearly 
that the term is not about a set of attributes. Even though when we see G-O-D, we think of a unique set of attributes, when a biblical writer wrote Elohim, he was not thinking that way. If he were, he'd never have used the term Elohim to describe anything but Yahweh. We can be confident of this conclusion by once again observing what the biblical writers say about Yahweh and never say about another Elohim. The biblical writers speak of Yahweh in ways that telegraph their belief in his uniqueness and incomparability. Who is like you among the gods, Yahweh? Exodus 15.11 What god is there in the heaven or on the earth who can do according to your works and according to your mighty deeds? Deuteronomy 3.24 O Yahweh, God of Israel, there is no god like you in the heavens above or on the earth beneath. 1 Kings 8.23 For you, O Yahweh, are most high over all the earth, you are highly exalted above all gods, Psalm 97.9. Biblical writers also assign unique qualities to Yahweh. Yahweh is all-powerful, the sovereign king over the other Elohim, the creator of the other members of his host council, and the one Elohim who deserves worship from the other Elohim. In fact, Nehemiah 9.6 explicitly declares that Yahweh is unique. There is only one Yahweh. The biblical use of Elohim is not hard to understand once we know that it is not about attributes. What all the figures on the list have in common is that they are inhabitants of the spiritual world. In that realm, there is a hierarchy. For example, Yahweh possesses superior attributes with respect to all Elohim. But God's attributes are not what makes him an Elohim, since inferior beings are members of that same group. The Old Testament writers understood that Yahweh was an Elohim, but no other Elohim was Yahweh. He was species unique among all residents of the spiritual world. With all of this in mind, it's clear that the gods of other nations are not all just make-believe and fairy tales. There actually is something spiritual going on here. In the New Testament, Paul explicitly states in 1 Corinthians 10.20 that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. So we see here that when pagans make sacrifices to their gods, it's not all just in their imagination. In some instances, these people have actually been deceived by demonic entities to direct their worship to demons instead of to the one true God, which is Yahweh. As mentioned in the previous podcast, that's why Yahweh tells the Israelites to have no other Elohim before him in the first commandment of the Ten Commandments. Likewise, Yahweh refers to the gods of other nations, such as Ashtaroth, Shemosh, and Milcom, as Elohim in 1 Kings 11.33, implying that these beings actually do exist.
Language that appears to portray these other gods as real beings is used all throughout the Old Testament. For example, Deuteronomy 32.17 is strikingly similar to Paul's statement in 1 Corinthians that some of these false gods are actually demons. It states that they sacrificed unto devils, not to God, to gods whom they knew not. After the Israelites escaped the Egyptians, Exodus 15.11 records them as singing, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Now, remember that the word Lord in all uppercase letters represents Yahweh. So here, the Israelites are saying, who is like Yahweh among the Elohim? If other Elohim did not exist, then the statement would not make much sense. Psalm 86.8 says that among the gods there is none like unto thee, O Lord, neither are there any works like your works. And Psalm 96.4 states that, For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. If all of the other gods are just imaginary, then these praises aren't that great. It's not a compliment to say somebody is greater than Santa Claus or the Tooth Fairy, because these characters are imaginary. If I told you that you were smarter than my imaginary friend, that would not boost your ego at all. These praises to Yahweh which exalt him above all the Elohim, only makes sense if these Elohim actually exist. It is critical to keep in mind that this picture in no way supports polytheism. There are not multiple gods the way that we define the word God here in the West. Yahweh is the only true God, with a capital G, because he is the only creator of all things and only he possesses attributes such as omnipresence, omnipotence, etc. While Yahweh is the only true God with a capital G, he did choose to create other supernatural beings, which are called Elohim, and these Elohim interact constantly with the earthly realm. Some of these Elohim have even convinced entire nations to worship them instead of Yahweh, which is obviously evil and goes against Yahweh's will. While these other Elohim are viewed as being higher than humans because they exist in the spiritual realm, none of them are as high as Yahweh is. Yahweh is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. He is chief over every creature in the heavenly realm and in the earthly realm. As Nehemiah 9.6 says, you, even you, are Yahweh alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and all things that are therein, the seas and all that is therein. And you preserve them all, and the host of heaven worships you. Notice that this verse acknowledges that Yahweh alone created all things, including a host in heaven that worships him. That's why the New Testament passage Colossians 1.16 
states that by Jesus were all things created, that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. When Paul uses the phrase principalities and powers, he is referring specifically to spiritual entities, as seen in Ephesians 6.12, 1 Corinthians 2.8, etc. So here, Colossians 1.16 acknowledges that even though other spiritual beings exist, Yahweh created them all and therefore has ultimate power and dominion over them. That is why Yahweh is referred to as the Most High, because he is the Most High among the Elohim. For example, Genesis 14.22 records that Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have lift up my hand unto the Lord, the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth. Psalm 57.2 says that I will cry unto God Most High. And Nebuchadnezzar says in Daniel 4.2 that I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. So here we see this language of Yahweh being referred to as the Most High because he is the highest among the Elohim. This can also be seen in the New Testament. When Jesus confronts a demon-possessed man in Mark 5-7, the demon says, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Likewise, when the angel Gabriel visits Mary to tell her about her divine pregnancy with Jesus in Luke 1, he says that, You shall conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. Understanding the supernatural worldview makes sense of many Bible passages that we may find strange. For example, Exodus 7.12 tells us that after Moses and Aaron made a rod turn into a serpent, Pharaoh's magicians cast down every man his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rods swallowed up their rods. Though obviously Yahweh is the only Elohim which has ultimate power, these other Elohim do appear to be able to perform miraculous works as well. In fact, this is exactly what the Bible says about the Antichrist. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 2.9 that the Antichrist will come after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. Likewise, Jesus said in Matthew 24.24 that during the end times there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and they shall show great signs and wonders. So these evil and disobedient Elohim clearly have the power to do things that humans would look at as miraculous. And this is why Paul says in Ephesians 6.12 that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness, in high places. 
This verse isn't in the Bible just because it sounds good. This verse is in the Bible because it's true. A clear example of this can be found in Daniel 10.13, when an angel tells Daniel that from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come because of your words, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me twenty-one days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Now, the prince of Persia in this passage is understood to be a spiritual being. This passage is bizarre because it's saying that the angel was interrupted on his way to visit Daniel by the Elohim which ruled over Persia, and that the good archangel Michael had to come and help him. So, it appears that spiritual beings battle amongst themselves as well as with humans. For example, 2 Kings chapter 6 records a young man who was afraid because of the great size of an opposing army. However, verse 17 says that the prophet Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. So Yahweh opened this young man's eyes here and allowed him to see the reality that there was an army of spiritual beings on their side. One last passage I want to mention is Genesis 28 verses 12 to 13. In this passage, Jacob is traveling from Beersheba to Haran. While he is sleeping one night, the text tells us that he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father, and the God of Isaac. The land where you lie upon, to you will I give it, and to your seed. Though Jacob is dreaming here, it appears that God gives him a vision of a supernatural ladder which enables angels to travel between earth and heaven. It looks like Jacob was convinced from his dream that this place acted as some sort of portal where the supernatural can come down into the earthly realm. Passages like this are usually shocking to us because we have grown up in the West and have been conditioned to have a naturalistic worldview rather than a supernatural worldview. Breaking out of the boundaries set by cultural paradigms is very hard to do because doing so involves rewiring one's entire thought process and view of reality. However, as Christians, we should strive to view the world through the lens of truth. And because the Bible is God's word and is 100% true, we must submit to what it says about everything, especially the supernatural. In closing, it is important to remember that an unseen spiritual realm does exist 
and that spiritual beings have the power to influence and interact with human beings. Sometimes, weird religious beliefs are not just the product of imagination, but are rather the result of intentional deception by the devil and his angels. If you're listening to this, I encourage you to ask yourself the question, am I worshiping Yahweh, the one true God, or have I been misled? If you have not yet accepted Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, as your Lord and Savior, I urge you to do so right now. If you admit that you are a guilty sinner before God and you personally accept the justification for your sin, which comes by faith alone in the work and person of Jesus Christ alone, you will receive eternal life and will escape the penalty for your sin, which is eternal hellfire, with the devil and his angels. It is true that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that's all we have time for in this episode. Uh, There was so many more verses we could have looked over that suddenly gain clarity when you understand the supernatural worldview, but hopefully we can cover those on another episode. Thank you all for listening. I pray that you continue to grow in the knowledge of the Lord and that you follow his will for your life. Bye.